Ahoy Mets fans! Welcome to episode 277 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and thank you for joining us today. Um, when we last spoke, the Mets had won eight games in a row. The, fi- the following six games have not gone quite as well, but it's still been a pretty fun start to the season. I'm joined this week by Allison McCaig, and we're going to talk about the uh, the last six games and sort of some bigger questions for the Mets. We're going to play a game of Would You Rather, and we're going to have a special guest appearance from Chris McShane at the end of the show. So stay tuned. Well, Allison, the last time we had a podcast, the Mets had just won eight straight. The f- subsequent six games have not been quite as good. The Mets went uh, three and three in those six games, but... Tonight came back from a big deficit against the Nationals with a nine-run eighth inning, capped off ah! by yeah, capped off by Yuenis Cespedes grand slam. Uh, it was pretty special, a pretty fun inning to watch, especially after watching the horrible, horrible eighth inning from Monday night. So, just sort of generally overall, what is your opinion of the last six games, and how do you feel going into Atlanta tomorrow? So, I think that you know, I I. I wrote a piece on Amazing Avenue about not overreacting to one game after the really horrible game we had in the national series um, when DeGrom pitched and we were up six to one and then we didn't win. Um, I think that obviously we were not going to win every game forever. (laughs) Um, And I think that some things have revealed themselves um, and the Mets have come back down to earth a little bit, but I still feel good about this team. And I think tonight helped a lot. I think that if tonight had been the four to two loss, that we were like expecting and ready for. I think that my answer to this question might've been a little different. Um, But I think that despite the fact that some things have been exposed as not perfect about this team, I think that they're still a good team and a stretch where they haven't played quite as great as they started off at doesn't change that. Yeah. You know, the rational part of me says, well, if you can't be that upset over the six-run eighth on Monday, you can't be that excited about the nine-run eighth on Wednesday, right? They're both like one-inning random occurrences. But I will also say that that six-run inning on Monday felt like this is something that could only happen once or twice this season. You're not going to see this many pitchers not be able to deliver in this particular order in this time. This nine-run inning seems like something that could happen more than once. Yeah, I think it could, especially against, you know, pitchers like A.J. Cole, who you and Cespedes should own like that. I'm hoping that if we see, you know, and then then the Nationals' bullpen is better than most bullpens we will see this year, most likely. Um, So I'm hoping that against, you know, less quality pitching, we will see more big innings like that our offense should be able to produce big innings like that right and you know you can you can look at it one of two ways like if you eliminated either of the big innings it would have been the same series like the Mets would have won Monday and lost tonight so it's not like either big inning was totally threw the series into a different direction but you know the 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 dreamer in me says well if they had just gotten out of that eighth inning giving up four runs instead of six runs, we might mm-hmm. be sitting here right now talking about the Mets taking two of three from Washington at home, and that, again, changes the conversation. But it doesn't change it that much. They're still 13-4. No. and four. They're, they're still 13-4. Yeah, they're, they're still playing, you know, above-average baseball. 
Um, I, I have SNY on in the background, and just that, that Grand Slam was just, I mean, a laser beam. That, I'm going to that... have to listen to the Gary, Keith, and Ron call on that because I have the unfortunate um, distinction of having to listen to Masson for oh. the Nationals games because I live in Baltimore, as our listeners probably know. And so I have to listen to um, the Nationals announcers for these games, and most of the time it's excruciatingly painful. But when I, the Mets I'm put truly together, sorry. When the Mets put together an inning like that, though... It's very nice because even though I don't get the like super excited gear like home run call, uh-huh. I do get stunned silence, which is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, the other thing that I think might be playing a little bit into this uh, this week of, of of Mets games is that they've had to do a lot with a brand new catcher in Jose Lobaton. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Tomas Nito was was seemed to be play seemed to be in major league games more over uh, sorry not major league games a big league camp games more in spring training than Lobaton yeah. was. I didn't see a lot of Lobaton in spring training, and I think you know obviously offensively he has not been great. He started off with a triple, a little bit hard yep. to live up to that, and his yeah. hair has been fantastic. We've talked a lot in uh, in Slack <laughs> about his his like third tier boy band hair. Oh my God, Lance Bass hair. Um, yeah, but I think that Lopatone, for the most part, has been calling a pretty good game, and I think that once the pitching staff gets a little more comfortable with him, you know, it, you, you might see a little bit of an improvement, even in the even more so than we've had so far, because obviously it takes a long time for catchers mm-hmm. and pitchers to get on the same page. But I really wonder what the Mets' game plan is for catcher long term. You know, yeah, um, not even long term, just short term, as in. You know, when Pilecki comes back, is it going to be Pilecki and Lobatone, Pilecki and Nito, or, you know, uh, reports are out there that the Mets are still trying to trade for JT Real Muto, which would be great, um, if unrealistic, perhaps, at this point. So, I guess, uh, Allison, if you're, if you're Sandy Allison, that's the only mm-hmm. thing there, and, and you can, okay. uh, Thank you, and, and you can sort of dictate the catching situation for the rest of the season. Where do you where do you kind of put your uh, your efforts? So obviously, a lot depends on what kind of package we'd have to give up for Real Muto. Um, I I mean, we heard rumors in the off season that the Marlins did not want uh, wanted Victor Robles from the Nationals um, for him, um, and that is a package that we would have trouble matching without, you know, emptying the farm or, you know, Brandon Nimmo would be like the starting point. Right. Um, and that would be painful. I think, I don't know. Um, I, I, I was very firmly when, when Pulecki first went down, I was very firmly like, let's not panic. The catching situation will be fine. It'll be okay. We're, we're getting a lot of offensive production. And that was obviously right around the time where we started to not win as much. And so yep. then, like, the flaws started to get exposed. The bottom of the order started to look really awful with the catcher in it that is not hitting. Um, and so now I'm kind of come around a little bit that I think they need to do something. I don't know if they need to do Real Muto if the package is something that, you know, is would be difficult for us to give up. Um, but I think that they could do an in-between thing. I think that they could, rather than shoot for the stars and real Muto, they could keep talking to the Marlins by all means, try to get them, try to get a deal that both sides can agree on. But 
I think that we can go in between doing nothing and getting real Muto. I think we could get, get somebody else that is, you know, cromulent. <laughs> right. You know, the, the problem is just catcher is the position in all of baseball that seems to me to be the the fewest true game-changing players. Yeah, for sure. You know, there, there, there's this very thin upper crust of players, and then everybody else kind of just falls into this, this middle ground. And so I don't want the Mets to give up too much to get somebody who's going to be marginally better than Plowecki. Sure, sure. And I think that, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree with you, but I also think that um, Lobatone is not a major league player. No, um, he or, I, he's not a major league starter. No, yeah, and I think that I don't know. Like you can't, you can't get nothing at the plate, um, especially if we're still not controlling the running game. And part of that is on the pitchers, to be sure. Um, it can't all be put on the shoulders of Lobatone and Nito. But um, early on, and I mean, I think Nito is still way too small sample to say anything about that because he hasn't really played. But Lobatone hasn't really impressed me with his arm, and he's supposed to be the more defensive-minded catcher, even more so than Pulecki and Darno. So, right. and I, I haven't really seen the throwing arm. Um, so, and controlling the running game has been such a weakness for this team. So, if we could get that under control with the more defensive-minded catcher, then I would be more okay with not really getting much at the plate at all. But if we can't do that and we don't get much at the plate, then I don't then. It, it's really hard for me to continue. Even if the Lobatone-Nito combo is the backup rather than the starter, it's really hard for me to think that that's what we have to go with because like, then we're one more injury away from that being the starting situation again. Yeah, and that's the hardest part is just that, you know, if there's, if there's a silver lining to this happening, how can I put this? I'm glad this happened at this point in the year when there are so many options still out there for the Mets, so that mm-hmm. they can so that they can make a move that doesn't work. If that makes sense, like yeah. if, if they make a move in late April, early May that doesn't really work out, that's not going to hamstring them the rest of the season. If this sure. happened in August, there are far less options for them to go with. Then they might have to give up a prospect that they want to hold on to to get a catcher who is marginally better than Lobatone because they're in the playoff hunt, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I yeah. agree with you. Um, anything else stand out to you from these six games? Um, I was going to say before this game that I was slightly concerned about Cespedes, but <laughs> I maybe have less concerns now. Yeah, you know... After that Grand Slam? It's, uh... It's hard to it's hard to properly gauge Cespedes because he is such a streaky player even when he's healthy. Sure. And I don't I don't mean streaky in the way I think most people do. I think Cespedes has a, a pretty decent baseline, but when he's hot, he is so far and above everybody else mm-hmm. that yeah. it's uh that you know, it makes it appear that when he's not hitting a home run every you know, every fourth at bat that he's slumping. That's not really the case, but he just goes on these incredible hot streaks. Plus, you know, he was sick. He yeah. was in a bit of a slump himself. I, I had no doubt he would get out of it. But I, I'm with you. He looked pretty lost at the plate a couple of days ago. And and it, what concerned me is that, I mean, 
it wasn't too, too much different than other Cespedes slumps we've seen, and he's gotten out of all of them. And I had no concern that he was going to get out of it. I, I was sure he would get out of it. But what concerned me more about this than previous slumps was his strikeout rate was outrageously high, way higher than at, at any point that I can remember during other slumps he's had. He was just striking out all the time. And that was concerning to me is that he wasn't even like recognizing pitches, basically. And and it's especially difficult when you have him batting right in front of uh, Frazier, who mm, also mm-hmm. could be a strikeout uh, victim, as last night struck out four times, you know. So I, I think I, I definitely agree with you. I think that Cespedes has to feel good about the lineup as it is with not having to be the, the guy. The guy. But I think that, that also hurts him because he wants to be the guy. So yeah. hopefully he, he's able to find the balance there. Um, I guess my last question for you is, you know, we're getting every day we're getting more and more data on Mickey Calloway. Mm-hmm. And we're understanding him a little bit more as a manager. How do you feel about him so far? Because I, I feel pretty good still. You know, uh, he did that weird pinch hitting for Bruce thing. Pinch hitting Bruce when they knew he was going to be intentionally walked in Sunday's game. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think his bullpen usage on Monday night, I could possibly quibble with using so many pitchers in that one inning. Um, but I think overall he's done he's done remarkably well for a, a first-time manager, not just because of the record, but because of how players are talking about the team. I think mm-hmm. early on in the season, setting a tone is something so important for a manager to do because, you know, early in the season you're going to – you're gonna win. You're gonna lose. It's hard to it's hard to really gauge in game data. But in terms of gauging his his approach to managing the clubhouse, it seems pretty successful so far. What do you think? I agree with uh, with your point that I think he's managing the clubhouse very well. Um, and I mean, part of that it's hard to like you said, it's hard to disentangle that from the winning. Um, obviously, winning is going to make the clubhouse look like they're all getting along and everything's going really great. Um, But I think he has established like an open communication policy with his players that seems to be going pretty well. Um, As far as his in-game managing, I, I don't, I'm, it's not a home run. I have some things that I had problems with, especially in the most recent games, but I still think overall I have a positive impression. Mainly my issues were my, I had two big issues with his like most recent moves. One was when it, like basically over reliance on Jose Reyes and AJ Ramos are my two yes. big things. Um, he seems to start Reyes over Rosario like just to get him going, which is like reminiscent too reminiscent of Terry Collins for me and makes yep. me very nauseous. <laughs> and um, and pinch hitting him in big spots and it's just like oh god. Um, and then also he like when he. I, unlike some, I actually agreed with his decision to pull Jacob Degrom in the um, in the collapse game. Um, I thought Degrom looked really tired during the Turner at bat, and I thought it was the correct decision to pull him. What I did not agree with was when he put Ramos in. I thought he should have put Familia in at that point instead. But then after the game ended, it was hard for me to stay mad because literally no one did their job in that game. So right. no matter what he did, it seemed like they would have failed anyway. But I do, you know, I do hope that it's not, you know, precedent setting for him to realize that Ramos really isn't the guy you should be using in big spots anymore at this point. 
Um, part of that is, of course, you know, exacerbated by the fact that Swarzak is still down and seems like he had a setback today, which we can also talk about. Yes. Um, unfortunately. Um, so that means that there are, you know, more limited options for Callaway to use in big spots. But I would have even gone to Seawald over Ramos at this point. Yeah. To me, Ramos is a guy you just can't you can't bring him in with men on base. Nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, he has to start the inning clean for me, at least. Um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily disagree with him pulling DeGrom at the point he pulled him. What I'm not what I'm not getting from Callaway is he he had talked a big game early on in the offseason about not having a closer necessarily mm-hmm. and, and using your your best reliever as kind of a stopper instead of as a closer. And so, you know, you never know when you're gonna really need that big out. And if that's the case, then I'm with you. When he brought Ramos in on Monday night, he should have brought in uh, Familia. That was right. You know, if that's if that's the case, then you gotta you gotta do that. Um, the Reyes thing. I mean, the conspiracy theorist in me says that the Wilpons have said like we're gonna keep Reyes in the team off season. Yeah. So yeah. use them where you can. I hope that's not the case, but that's you know I don't put anything past the Wilpons. I would. Um, no. And, uh, you know, I also wish that Callaway was a little bit more discerning in when he pulls Syndergaard C- uh, and DeGrom from games. Because, mm-hmm. well, I don't... Uh, I mean, look, DeGrom looked great on Monday night. And I could understand fans being upset if he didn't start that eighth inning. Yeah. But it's early in the season. You don't want to overtax him. You know, let... Let him let him come out of the game after the seventh inning with the fans upset he didn't get to pitch more instead of having the result that we got. Again, I'm playing armchair quarterback. This is not... He didn't make a bad decision, but I think that there was a lot of talk with him about, you know, pulling guys after the first two times in the lineup and all of that, and uh, I just wish maybe he was sticking to those maybe more sabermetrically friendly guns early on in the season than he is, but it's early, and I think he's doing... He he's far better than Terry Collins. So yes, I think he's better than Terry Collins. And my one other small quibble with bullpen usage has been: I think that he is like using Blevins as a specialist a little too much. I don't like that he keeps putting him in for one batter only. He should let Blevins pitch whole innings sometimes when it's warranted. Um, and I hope that he, you know, expands his usage of him a little more later in the season because right now it's just you know he's he's managing every game a little bit like it's the seventh game of the world series and putting it in Blevins to face Harper and then taking him out immediately. And I just, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I think that, like you said, he's head and shoulders above Terry Collins so far, I think. Yeah. And, and he is still also brand new at this and maybe he doesn't, maybe he doesn't have as much confidence in Blevins as a full innings guy than we do because we saw so many, Levin's full innings over the last two seasons that were great. He probably yeah, yeah. saw considerably fewer of those. So, sure, sure. Um, you did mention Swarzak, who was who stopped his throwing program today due to discomfort. So I don't know when we're going to get him back. How worried are you about Anthony Swarzak? Um, as far as like him staying hurt forever, as far yeah. as like him being effective when he comes back, or I think as far as just sort of managing this injury. Because an oblique injury is one of those things that can linger forever. Yep. And this just seems like the most Mets thing possible. Yep. You know? And, like, 
and he had never been hurt in his career right. and he's been hurt twice for the Mets already and it's just incredible um the two actually the two new pitchers are the guys that are hurt and everyone else is fine yep <laughs> um but yeah I am I am slightly concerned but I you know it's still like it's still like really the first time he tried to amp it up and so maybe it was just a little too soon and if he just dials it back and then like you know tries to go again it'll be okay um but yet like you said obliques are really tricky um you know especially when you 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 have so in hitting and pitching when you have so much torque going on in your core and your body it's like really a tricky injury to deal with and there's like not much you can do about it because you're constantly using those muscles even what just like living your life it's not like an ankle where you can just like stay off it go on crutches or whatever it's like you have to use your core to sit up right <laughs> so right. yeah it is concerning but um you know it's one setback i'm hoping you know two or three more weeks um maybe he'll get throwing again next week and then a couple more weeks after that here's hoping yeah and you know it might wind up being somewhat fortuitous that as the rest of the bullpen gets overtaxed in a week or two he'll be coming in fresh yeah yeah that will be helpful it'll be a huge boon to get him back um to the bullpen um i do like what they're doing though as far as keeping guys fresh of like sending guys down bringing guys up that other other teams do this all the time and we just aren't used to seeing it but the mets it's good that the mets are employing this strategy and i think that the reason they can employ it is because they finally have enough pitching depth to employ it right um and enough guys aren't hurt such that they actually have legitimate options down in AAA as opposed to last year where they didn't really have anybody in AAA that could throw big league innings. Um, so I think that that's good that they like brought up Garrison Bautista, for example, sent down Robles. I know people were upset about that because Robles was so, so good after he came back. Um, and people were like, oh, it seems like a punishment to send him down. And I, I get that, but... I also think that it's good that their Hansel Robles had been used a lot and he, and they needed someone fresh after, you know, so many guys throwing so many innings in the infamous game. So, yeah. Yeah. It's smart. It's a, it's a relatively fast and cheap way to solve that problem. Yep. So, and without, without long-term impact either. Um, and I think that, like, you know, the job that Seawald has done in the past week or so has really, really, you know, been helpful in, like, me feeling better about the fact that they can, like, that final spot, they can just, like, shuttle between a couple of guys and have it not be too um, impactful on the bullpen's ability to get guys out. Absolutely. And, you know, when Swarzak comes back, he might theoretically take that uh, Batista... Um, robless spot and then you have even more depth in triple exactly exactly so. you can rotate between robless seawall frame other guys <laughs> <laughs> the infamous other guys yeah other guys um so the mets are about to embark on the first real long road trip of the year they're going down to atlanta to start you know uh how do you think the Met- okay i asked chris's question last week so we recorded last, we said what would be the Mets, what we think the Mets record was going to be the next time we recorded. And we talked a big game. We went 17-1. Uh, <laughs> and uh-huh. then we uh, we eventually walked that back to, I think it was 15-3. Uh, and three was what we had hoped on. 
or mm-hmm. 14 whatever whatever it was um but after let's just talk about Atlanta for now what okay. do you hope the Mets I mean obviously we hope the Mets sweep in Atlanta but realist, realistically what do you think the Mets can do in Atlanta this weekend over the four games to uh to put them for next week what do you think does does three wins sound uh, overly optimistic no i think three wins um, is realistic. Um, I mean, it's optimistic, but realistic, I think. Um, I don't, the, the game that I'm like kind of penciling in for the loss right now is I don't like Harvey at SunTrust Park. Um, I don't think he's going to pitch very well there. He's become a kind of a fly ball pitcher now. Um, and that place, as we've seen, you know, it is still a young stadium, but it's established, it established itself very early as a hitter's park. Uh, for sure. And I'm kind of nervous. And especially because the Braves seem to be hitting the cover off the ball early this year. That's um, my concern with this road trip. Yeah. You know, is the pitching. Yeah. And not that the Mets pitching has been bad, but just no. that it has not been up to the standard that maybe perhaps we are used to. Yes. Um, I do think, though, that obviously DeGrom pitched amazing. Um, in the most recent game, and Syndergaard is, I, I think that Syndergaard is starting to find his stride now, too. Um, the movement he had in the most, the stuff he had in this most recent start was nasty. Yes, it's it the was. nastiest he's been this year. The movement was crazy. I remember that one, I don't know if you saw that one, like, really slow gif of, like, Neo yep. completely just, like, missing the ball. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, our pitchers are starting to find their, their stride. It'll be really interesting when Vargas comes back, what they decide to do. Yeah. I don't know what that's going to look like at all. And we're probably still at least a week or two away from that. Yeah. I I would say at least a week away from that. So maybe we'll save that for next week's show. But, um, but yeah, it should be, it should be fun to watch them in Atlanta, maybe rack up a few more wins. What's crazy to me is that. The uh, just the distance the Mets are putting at the top of the division right now, without mm-hmm. without necessarily having a great, you know, they just they just had a five hundred homestand, yeah, and they uh, and they're still they're still you know head and shoulders above the rest of the NL East. So this won't last forever, but I enjoy watching it while it does. Yeah, for sure. And this this four game series against Atlanta coming up is going to be really important too because. It's the first time we've seen them, and they they actually have a better record than the Nats right now. Right. So, you know, are they in, they're in second place, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, so, you know, if we want to really put the distance between ourselves and the rest of the division, no better time to do it than against the second-place team. Right. And, you know, people are going to say, you know, record doesn't matter at this point in the season. Wins are wins. Exactly. Wins are wins at any point. Every statistically, every game counts the same. Mm-hmm. All right. So we got a funny email today. This is from uh, somebody who posts on the site as Flushtown Fandom, and ah uh, uh, yes, I am familiar with him. <laughs> he he said that he he's going to give us a couple of would you rather situations. Okay. And uh, Ready. we have to make a choice here. So, Allison, would you rather have an annual season ticket plan behind home plate, or all you can eat Shake Shack. Now he gives a, a qualifier here. He says both are immediate transport. You click your heels and boom, you're high behind home plate or sipping on a vanilla shake. Um, but it will affect your waistline. It says, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you will have to walk the center field still to get in line to wait to get your Shake Shack, but it's all you can eat. So it's not instant Shake Shack, but it's all you can eat Shake Shack. And is it for free? <laughs> um, I, mean, I believe that's part of the plan, yes. That okay. You get, you get your free ticket or you get your free Shake Shack. I'm going with season tickets. Yeah, of course you are. Why wouldn't I you? Love, I love, sh- and I love Shake Shack. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Hang on, Chris just popped online. Oh, yeah. Let's add him to this call, and then we can ask him the same question. Yes, let's ask him. This is great radio right here. This is just captivating, great, great captivating audio. So let's see, let's see if he's actually online. Oh, the suspense is killing me. Chris, yeah, you were at the game. I want to hear everything. <laughs> oh nope, maybe he's not online. We'll see. Damn. We'll Damn. see what happens in a minute. Um. But yeah, so we'll keep going. So yeah, I agree. I would think that the the season ticket plan will be the better way to go because first of all, at City Field, there's a bevy of food options, and if oh, you yeah, ha- if sure. you had free all you can eat Shake Shack, you probably wouldn't hit up Blue Smoke. You probably yeah, wouldn't hit sad. up the taco stand. You know, you wouldn't get your Pat Lafriera sandwich. Like, there's so much good food there. You don't want to be just just shoehorned into one uh, one food choice. And I am lucky in the sense that here in Baltimore, um, I do have access to Shake Shack, but I do not have access, easy access to City Field. So the ability to click my heels is really what seals the deal on that for me, is because like as someone who doesn't live close by, if I could just click my heels and be at City Field, that would be a dream. I, I am considerably closer to City Field than you are, but I agree with you. It would still yeah. Like, with traffic, it's probably almost the same anyway. <laughs> yeah, like you know, just not having to sit on the uh, on, on the J- the RFK bridge is yeah, is worth the for real. is worth this. All right, I was so like, what's the RFK? Oh, the Triber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so would you rather live on the Cespedes Ranch okay. or have the Cespedes car collection? Um, I'll t- I'm taking the ranch. We're in sync tonight. I'm taking the ranch, too. Taking the ranch. I'm not much of a car person. I mean, I, nice cars are nice to look at, but I don't I don't feel the pull like a lot of people feel like they really want to drive a super, super nice car. I also I feel drive like... drive a car that gets me from point A to point B and doesn't cost a lot of money to maintain. <laughs> yeah, I also feel like the Cespedes car collection are not very practical cars. No. Like, could I fit my groceries in some of his cars? Probably not. You know, so... <laughs> I feel like I would rather have the ranch with his expansive beauty than uh, than have an inconvenient car to like get my kids to school. Yeah, yeah, agree. I love the ranch is beautiful. I would love to have that. Plus, I imagine the barbecue. Oh yeah, Cespedes family barbecue. Exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, hold on to your uh, your butt for this one. Uh, would you rather do cocaine with Keith Hernandez? Or play bridge with Ron Darling? Oh, that's difficult. Because I want to hang out with both of them. I know. Can I, like, can I just drink booze with both of them? Can I, like, take a middle cup? <laughs> no, um, I'll pick. Um, I'll play bridge with Ron. Now, I, I am I am not, I, I have never done cocaine in my life. I don't plan on ever doing cocaine. But... If you're going to do cocaine, 
Isn't Keith He's a Hernandez person to right? Do what we <laughs> the Keith Hernandez, right? Isn't he kind of the the, the, the platonic ideal of a cocaine partner? Um, in addition, I don't know the rules of bridge. Oh, you do not. I, I do. I have never played bridge before, so I think I'd be at an immediate disadvantage. And Ron Darling's such a smart guy; I'd be afraid to appear stupid around him. For sure. So I, I, I think I, I might also like put the straws on my nose and blow away the cocaine, but I'm at least pretending to do cocaine with Keith Hernandez. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. I, um, I, I would have to definitely get a rules refresher of Bridge, but I have played it in my youth with my grandmother. Oh, okay. All right, but Chris. Really Chris is now ready for us. Oh, yay! So. We will try to... We'll rapid-fire the ones we've already done. Okay. For Chris. Again, thrilling hey. audio. Hey, Chris! Chris! <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. So, we're playing a game of Would You Rather. Oh, are we doing all of those? Uh, we skipped one of them. Okay, I think I know which one it was, and... <laughs> Question asker. Sorry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so we're going to rapid fire the ones we already have gone through for okay. you. Would okay. you rather have an annual season ticket plan behind home plate or all you can eat Shake Shack? Uh, the seats. Yep. We said the same thing. Would you rather I mean, live? Was that? You know, you can get Shake Shack delivered to you. You have to pay for it. But yeah. if you're in those, yeah. And we were saying that you would you would probably uh, avoid the other foods because you have free Shake Shack, and that's a shame because there's so much other good food there. Yes. Um, all right. Would you rather live on the Cespedes Ranch or have the Cespedes Car Collection? Uh, the ranch, and I think the framing of the question included living him, uh, living with him there. So that that makes it even better. Yes. Forget forget the cars. Uh, yeah. We, you're answering exactly in line with Allison and myself so far, but this next one split us, so we'll see what you say. Would you rather do cocaine with Keith Hernandez or play <laughs> bridge with Ron Darling? Uh, darling. <laughs> yeah, I said I don't know the rules of bridge, and I, I'd be afraid to appear <laughs> stupid. So I would, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I have, uh, I have a. I have a day job to keep, so darling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling Keith would get you into additional trouble, perhaps, too. <laughs> or talk yeah, you out of it. One of the options there was, like, get into a bar fight with both guys. That's what I said. I said, can I drink booze with both of them? Yeah, that would be the most fun. We should try and get uh, an Amazing Avenue. And what's their charity called? Is it the, uh, the Gary, Keith, and Ron Fund or something? Uh, I forget. I know that there is a thing. Yeah, we should try and do an event with them. Yeah. Hey, then, I'm in. And then drink them out of the table. Show them, <laughs> show them who the real bosses are. All right. And uh, finally, would you rather the Mets win the World Series with a heavy reliance on veteran players like uh, Gonzalez, Cabrera, Bruce, Lobatone, and Reyes? They had to say Reyes, of course. Or the Mets lose the wildcard game but got their right and strong performances from Rosario, Nimmo, Smith, Conforto, and Ploiecki. Uh, did the, the World Series win? World Series? Obviously. Yeah. yeah, World <laughs> Series, for for sure. 
Not even a question. Yo, uh, I'll go on record right now, and you guys know how I feel about Jose Reyes. I'll go on record right now and say that I would accept, like, five more years of Jose Reyes if it means we could get a title. Wow. Five's I'm a lot starved. of years, Allison. I'm starved. I've never... <laughs> I was not alive in 1986. So I've lived my whole life without that title. Yeah, I was too young. I was alive, uh, but I was too young to remember or process any of that same yeah i, I mean was like four. as long as he was only a bench player and like not like like kind of what he's doing right now that i'd accept five years for a world series i would sell my soul <laughs> yeah i really don't have a problem with with production from veteran players right now no no, uh, and, you know, I mean, at this point, Cespedes is a veteran player. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And it's especially because they didn't sell out their young players to get these veteran players. I'd be right. more upset if they traded Nimmo and Conforto to land a big bat or something. But this this line, this team is made up of of a fair amount of veteran players with a fair amount of excited younger players. This is a good mix. So if those younger players have... Somewhat subpar years, but they still win the World Series. I'm totally fine with that. I mean, Conforto and Rosario are centerpieces of this team, so. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, real quickly, give us a taste of the ballpark tonight. What was it like? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm so no. jealous. It was, uh, I mean, it was incredible. It was relatively sparsely attended, uh, and that's understandable. It's still cold, not as bad as it was, you know, the previous two nights or some of the other home games they've had so far this year. But, uh, you know, not a knock on anybody, but there weren't that many people in the park. But it felt like everybody who was there was into it, you know? And uh, it, it went from that first inning couldn't have gone worse. You know, Matt's. Uh, isn't sharp, gives up a three-run home run. You get to the bottom of the first, first three guys up, just like boom, boom, boom. I think it was 11 pitches that Roark threw. Um, you know, felt pretty miserable. And uh, you know baseball is a long game. Uh, you know, I wasn't resigned to defeat, but it was just like, man, coming off those two losses, this kind of feels like there's a hill to climb. Um, but the low point for me was when Rosario swung at the uh, – 2-0 pitch with the bases mm. loaded yeah. when Roark had like completely lost the zone um, and then I didn't I couldn't see this from the upper deck but you know heard from friends watching at home that Roark was barking at the ump the whole time and all that yes. and you know I had said at the time I want him to take two pitches I don't care if he gets the 2-2 because if he strikes out Conforto still comes up with the bases loaded and a chance to tie or you know take the lead um, so that was the soul crushing moment for me, and then that that eighth inning. Huh. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, just it, it it went very quickly from the start of the inning to the game being tied, and then, you know, when Ligaris does what he did, hitting that double down the line, uh, that that really felt like something. And then the grand slam was just... You know, I mean, I think there were there were probably about 30 to 40 people in my entire section, but there were only 5 to 10 uh, within, you know, a few rows of where we were. And, you know, running around, high-fiving people, uh, 
yelling and all that. I'm actually I'm a little ashamed that I have a voice right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I definitely screamed. I screamed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it was just that for for an early April, mid April, I guess. Uh, we're getting closer to the 20th than the 10th. So mid-April game, um, you know, that was about as exciting as it gets. And, uh, you know, I want to see just as many stories about how invigorating this inning was for the Mets as I did about the Nationals on Monday night. Well, that's what we were saying earlier is like, you know, if you eliminate both innings, it's the exact same series. The Mets win Monday and lose today. It's still right. uh, it. It's the same series. It's not, neither one is a season changing experience. But everybody was talking about the first one as if it was the end all be all. This is why the Mets were going to be terrible this year, and people are not going to write the converse of that for this inning at all. Nope. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. Uh, I mean, I. I think there will be celebratory stuff. Um, and, you know, apologies for joining in the middle here, but have we talked at all uh, looking forward to what what they have ahead of them in the immediate future? Or, it does uh, about Atlanta, that's all. Oh, okay. Did Freddie Freeman have his wrist hit by a pitch since that? Is that is that new, or was that a thing? Wait, what happened? Oh, that happened? Uh, he, he got hit on the wrist. I'm just catching up myself, but... Uh, yeah, uh, he yeah he was hit on the wrist, and he didn't even wait for the trainers. He just walked off the field and oh, into no. the clubhouse, which sucks. Yeah, you, you hate to see a guy hurt, but he's clearly their best player. Yeah, I'm now yeah. like rapidly googling, but I didn't know that. That changes that this weekend quite a bit. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, you know just got into computer mode here to record. So I was just curious if that had already come up. So No. It did not. So there, there we go. Um I think that changes things fairly significantly for the uh for for the next few days. Yeah. Agree. Absolutely. I was can I say I was a little disappointed that Annabelle San- Sanchez got hurt. I would have preferred to face him. <laughs> is that is that yeah. bad? I can laugh about wanting a guy to not get injured, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's allowed. I'll allow it. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's my spiel from uh, from tonight. And I will I will let you continue taking the podcast where, wherever it was going. No, we were kind of wrapping up when you when you came on. So, uh, uh, okay, cool. A, a nice so little guest appearance. The were kind of the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, all right. Well, uh in that case, I'm, I'm glad parking was extremely easy when I got home, so I'm glad I got to squeeze in a few minutes here. And um, yeah, yeah, get, try to go to a game like that sometime this year, listeners, if you have a chance. Uh, you can't plan for it, but man. <laughs> I was talking about this on Slack the other day. I was at a game, gosh, it was at City Field, I'm going to say maybe 2013. When uh, Jordani Valdespin hit a walk-off grand slam to end the game, <laughs> and uh, I've never well, I seen. Think, I think I was at that one too. Oh, where he is before this is this is pre McShane existence for me, and uh, <laughs> I uh, I have never seen like more strangers hugging and jumping up and down than in that moment, and it wasn't even that important of a game, but you know, it's just a walk-off granny is just something you have to appreciate when you see it. 
as far as like ga- games that ultimately ended up being insignificant that like but at the time were awesome that I've attended the one that sticks out in my mind is um R.A. Dickey had like a like was it a complete game shutout it was or it was like it was one of his it was during the Cy Young season uh-huh. it was one of the amazing games he pitched pitched against the Phillies and he just like struck out a million guys and I just the distinct memory I have isn't even from the game itself it's from after the game of like all the fans flooding the tunnels and just screaming you got dickied and (laughs) clap 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 just over and over and it was like deafeningly loud and it was awesome (laughs) yeah leaving the uh the game tonight there was one poor Nationals fan who was trying to answer back with uh you know i he wasn't being like uh, abrasive or anything but those of us who are mets fans are you know going down the stairs let's go mets um and then a guy started i forget what it was but you know i think it was if you're happy and you know it but something if the nationals suck and you know it right and then this one poor Nationals fan is trying to be like well who won the series and and everybody was just like Bruh. Just like loud noise over you, like yeah. nope. Read the room. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, whenever any Nationals fan ever, says, I have a friend who's a big Nationals fan, and whenever he says that to me, like you know, hey, Nationals won the series, and I'll say, well, it wasn't a playoff series because we all know the Nationals have never won a playoff series. So. Uh... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Uh, there's nothing wrong with using that. Nope. So. Well. Allison, thank you for joining us this week. Chris, thanks for making your cameo appearance. Ah, at any time. And oh, let's do this again. So next time we record, are there are there seven games on the schedule bet- between now and next Thursday? No, they're off on Monday. They're off yeah. Monday, so we got so four, and then uh, I guess there'll be if we record Thursday night, there'll be seven games. Oh yeah, uh, the listeners can be in on the logistics here. Yeah. Uh, I will be in San Diego. So Oh how exciting. So Allison, yeah. what are you doing next week? <laughs> <laughs> should be able to should be able to do it. I nice. Think. So seven games. The Mets are thirteen and four. What's our, our prediction for their record as of Thursday night of next week? Chris. Uh so I came into the, this week hoping for eight and four to get them to twenty wins. Um, you know, in, in April, which uh-huh. would be really nice. So let's just stick with that. And if I can just do basic math real quick, uh, they need seven more, obviously, yeah. after tonight. And that would leave them with, uh, you, you know, well, if it's just the next week. Yeah. So let, let, let's say on that pace, I want five and two. Allison? And I'll predict I, it. I, oh, so I was going to say the same thing. I want five and two. So Chris, are you saying three from the uh, three from the Braves? Yeah, and I feel slightly more comfortable with that. With Freeman being, um, you know, there's no diagnosis or anything yet, but uh, I don't think he's going to play in the series. Uh, that that helps make me a little more optimistic. And the Cardinals really didn't impress me. I'm actually more more afraid of the Braves. Um, Agreed. Going into all I this. agree too. Yep. Yeah, five and two sounds reasonable. Which will put them at, uh, wow, 18 wins going into the weekend. That'd be so cool. Yeah, that that would be nice. And I will be at Petco at least once. So 
I nice. won't get to see Bartolo hit a home run, but I hope to see something cool. <laughs> uh, to be in that ballpark when Bartolo hit that home run. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can friend, only imagine. A friend of mine did the seven-line outing there, and I will forever be jealous of her for that. Yeah. Yeah, for real. I mean, I think it's I, I think it at least is good that it was like a seven line game because that means there were a bunch of Mets fans there. Yeah. And so that's cool. At least like more Mets fans than would have been there ordinarily got to see the historic moment. What a moment. Ugh, well, reminiscing. Enjoy, enjoy San Diego, Chris, and we'll be back next Thank week. You. Yeah. This is Steve Sleiper, and I'm back for our first Minor League Player of the Week segment for 2018. So, the seasons for Las Vegas, Binghamton, St. Lucie, and Columbia started on Thursday the 5th. And they all played um, a few games before this week. So I'm going to include those games into this week, which technically is the 8th to the 14th. So first up, uh, look at the standings. The Las Vegas 51s are 3-7, and seven, which puts them at the bottom of the PCL Pacific Southern Division. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies are 3-5, and five, and that puts them tied for third in the Eastern League Eastern Division. The St. Lucie Mets are 6-4, and four, and that puts them tied for fourth in the Florida State League South Division. And the Columbia Fireflies are also 6-4, and four, and that puts them tied for second in the South Atlantic League South- Southern Division. <clears throat> so, our pitcher for the week is St. Lucie Mets right-hander Justin Dunn. He started two games this week. And he combined to allow zero runs over 10 innings, scattering eight hits, walking three, and striking out 14. So, really, there's not much to say because it's only two games. But, I mean, so far, so good. You'd rather see a guy do good than a guy do bad. For comparison, in Dunn's first two games last season, he had a 3.86 ERA, which is four earned runs in 9.1 innings. And he allowed 11 hits, he walked 7, and he only struck out 2. Again, it's a cliche, only 2 games, so working with a small sample size. But um, according to Dunn himself, he took a lot of pressure off of himself, and he's throwing better as a result. Uh, According to Mark Valdez last year, Dunn is basically trying to be too perfect. He felt the pressure being like a first-round draft pick, he was trying to live up to that hype. And basically, he was going out there every time he went to the mound, trying to throw a perfect game. He's trying to get 81 swings and misses. He's trying to take uh, strike out all 27 batters that he faced. And basically, he took his lumps as a pitcher last year, and maybe that's a good thing. Um, in an interview this year, after his second start last week, he said that he's not putting a lot of pressure on himself anymore. Um, not in a not caring way, but in a... Whatever happens, happens, and there's nothing I could really do about it way. Uh, he said that he's, quote, not putting pressure on myself. I took all the pressure off with two full years of pro ball. I am not in control of a lot of things, so I just have to go out there and pitch and do what I've known how to do since I was a little kid. So, and end quote. So the number's encouraging, obviously. Um, let's hope that he can keep it up. That's uh, way too early to say that he's gotten over all those past problems that plagued him last season, but again, it's better to see a guy do good than to see a guy do bad. 
And now for our hit of the week, and that individual is Las Vegas 51's utility man, Ty Kelly. Uh, this past week, he hit 441, 486, 1.029 in nine games. He logged 15 hits with two doubles, three triples, and four homers. Very symmetrical. Um, really, I don't know. There's not much to say about Ty Kelly. He's an organizational depth player, and I really can't see many scenarios where he gets promoted to the big leagues. Um, he plays second base, but there's tons of guys ahead of him on the depth chart at the major league level and in the minors. He plays third base, but there's a ton of guys ahead of him on the depth charts at the major league level and in the minors. And he could kind of play left field and to a lesser degree right field. But again, he's blocked because there's a ton of guys ahead of him in the depth chart at the major league level and the minor league level. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's better for a guy to do good than not do good, as was the case with Dunn. But Ty Kelly is what he is, and there's really not too much there. But he had a good week, so, you know, kudos to him for that. So, I will be back next week, which will be week two for our Minor League Players of the Week. Hello, this is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and today I want to talk about the rumors surrounding the Mets' catching situation as soon as the team lost Travis Darno and Kevin Plowecki on the same day uh, about a week ago. And although it didn't seem like they lost them on the same day because Kevin Plowecki's x-rays came back negative on the same day he hurt his hand when we found out that Travis Darno has a, would have to, uh, or had a UCL issue and would eventually have to have Tommy John surgery. It looked like Plowecki would just be out for a couple days with a bruise on his hand, but then the MRI shows a hairline fracture and he's going to be out for about a month. And now everyone wants the Mets to trade for a catcher, even though that might not be best for the long-term interest of the team, especially if, uh, if Plowecki, who a lot of people were bullish on heading into the season, especially if he, ha- he comes back, has a decent year behind the plate, before he got hurt, he started to look like the guy that was just hitting ground balls to the left side over and over, so that was not good. Although, in the uh, towards the end of last season, he was driving the ball in the air more. He has a new open stance, but we don't really know. We don't know if it's gonna if it's a long change is gonna happen in the long term with his ability to drive the ball in the air, or if he's just going to be just another catcher who hits the ball on the ground and doesn't give the Mets much on offense. The guy whose name gets brought up pretty much all the time we talk about trades is JT Real Muto because the Miami Marlins pretty much traded everyone else of value on that team, save for Justin Bohr, depending on how you feel about Derek Dietrich. And then now now Harlan, Yarlan or Harlan the Marlin is pitching his, his butt off with great games against the Mets and the Yankees, so... Uh, but obviously, eventually, this team is is going to build around some of its young players, and and Real Muto could be one of those guys. Depending on how fast they see this rebuild going, he could be someone they they, they try to sign to a long term contract and who they want to stick around because it's impossible to find a catcher who hits well these days. And Real Muto Real Muto is one of those rare guys. And when you're trading way before the trade deadline, like like the Mets would be doing here, since it would really 
it, it would this this proposed trade would mostly just be to cover up Fleur Plawecki being hurt, but it would give the Mets a a boost in that department in the long run. But trading even trading in July for Real Muto because he's under team control would cost a pretty penny, and the Mets might not have the prospects to match up to some other teams if there is more demand for this guy, which there certainly will be because teams are going to be or in July are going to need more offense. And they are going to, and and there just aren't enough catchers that supply that kind of thing. So even if a team's good on offense, a catcher is always going to be a place where they can improve unless they have one of the few players who can get it done at that position. And uh, and yeah, even though there's less play, less teams looking to make that deal at this time of year, that's just gonna uh, that's just going to give the Marlins more leverage over the Mets. So it's just going to be hard for the Mets to make a fair deal at this time of year, although. JT Realmoto could be a stud. He's been worth seven wins, according to Fangraphs, over the past two seasons, which about with about three and a half wins over the last two years. He hits for a little bit of power, uh, as he showed in his de- season debut against the Yankees on Tuesday night. He hit a three-run home run the other way. It was a little bit of a Yankee Stadium home run, but still, you just like seeing him hit the opposite way with authority. Certainly, that's something that we'd like to see more of Travis Darno do, but he is out for the season, so that was really sad. But that, that just reminded me of Darno seeing Real Moto go the other way on Tuesday night, and and he can do it all. He even runs a little bit, and 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 gets on base, and he just does a little bit of everything that you like to see from a catcher. So he is kind of that uh, complete package that is going to be in demand. And now, is it worth it for the Mets to go after that? With Ploiecki out for about a month, that's something that they have to ask themselves, and it really depends on how much faith they have in Ploiecki to turn into a guy who can give them a little bit of pop, because right now the Mets have nothing going on with Jose Lobatone and Tomas Nito, pretty much the most important or impressive, exciting thing about Lobatone is his is his bleached boy band hair, which is very exciting, but just his, his, he looks overmatched at the plate right now, and so does Nito, who they called up recently, and, and uh, Mickey Calloway has not been shy to pinch hit for those guys, which is uh, just giving the Mets a disadvantage, because you also, obviously, in the National League, have to want to pinch hit for the pitcher, although last, um, last night, which is, uh, which was Tuesday night, uh, when, (laughs) When Callaway pinch hit for Wheeler with Jose Reyes, it was a uh, kind of a funny situation because Wheeler now has two more hits on on the season than Re- than Reyes after collecting hits in his first two at bats last night. Reyes is still 0-4-18, and that's turning into a whole issue. When how long are the Mets going to deal with that? As they have this guy that they sometimes bring off the bench, and he hasn't been able to get a hit. So. The whole Reyes thing is going to drive people insane until he either starts playing better or gets released. So that's a situation to monitor. But this catching situation is really uh, is is really important because the Mets would like to get get some offense out of that posi- position. Uh, the uh, they're they're also they're already struggling to get offense out of shortstop. Although Ahmad Rosario has looked um, looked more disciplined in the second week of the season than he was in the in the first week when he looked to be swinging everything. He had that really nice at-bat the other night where he just fouled off a bunch of pitches. 
which is great. The, o- the only issue is now just him being more selective on pitches and not missing pitches that are in the zone. So he's still got some work to do, but I just think Real Muto is going to be too too much. I think the Marlins are going to ask for too much. I think the Marlins are thinking about starting their their rebuild with this guy and having him be one of the pieces and signing him to a uh, a team friendly deal that will also help Real Muto not have to deal with arbitration and get a lot of money up front. So I think that's something that. Uh, the Marlins can do with him that not a lot of people are talking about, but we'll see. We'll see if that is the guy that Derek Jeter, uh, look, it was a big fire sale. They traded away a lot of guys. They certainly could have traded away Real Muto. They traded away Christian Yellick, who looked like a building block, but they kept Real Muto. Maybe Jeter uh, wants to build around his young catcher. So that will be um, interesting to see. And it's gonna, just going to make him, if the Marlins feel away, it's just going to make it him uh, harder to acquire for the Mets, but uh, we shall see as the Mets uh, try to get rolling again after the uh, euphoria has come down from that amazing start. So let's hope that the catching situation improves on itself and the Maryland and the Mets don't have to be held over a barrel by the Marlins. This is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue. that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. Go to AmazingAvenue.com where we have all sorts of great Mets content happening early in the season. Um, we, uh, we've been doing some really good work. I'm really proud of what our staff's been doing, so check it out. We hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy making it. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show at blogtalkradio.com. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on your podcatcher of choice. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate that, and that does help us out quite a bit. Also, please email the show, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com, and you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Allison is at Petite PhD. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve is at Steve Saipa. And Aaron is at Aaron P. York. So uh, next time we talk, the Mets will likely be heading west, and uh, we're going to have, hopefully, a nice couple of games to talk about. So until then, let's go Mets. Mets.